morning, church. It is so great to be home in Chantilly. I tell you, it's just wonderful. My wife and I wake up in our own bed on the mountain, waiting for some animal to eat our car. That's another story. But it's great to be home as always. Turning your Bible to the book of Acts, and at some point this morning, we'll eventually get there. But by way of review, the first Sunday in January, I spoke in this pulpit, as I do many years, as to a, what I was hearing God saying for this year and whatever period of time ensues. And at that time, I spoke a message about hearing the sound of heavy rain. The same way that the prophet Elijah heard something. His appearance in 1 Kings 17, declaring a curse on the land that there would be neither rain nor dew except at his command, as a response to the apostasy of Israel in that moment. But three and a half years later, he's breaking that curse. Mount Carmel, conflict, prayer. And he says, I hear something. The sound of heavy rain. And I prophesied in that moment that many of us are hearing the sound of the heavy rain of revival. And interestingly enough, we're in a similar three and a half year period from the beginning of 2020 until now. Here we are. And I've had the privilege of speaking this message literally 20 times around the world since... I spoke it here the first time in January. You know, when you speak the same message 20 times, you pretty much get it figured out. I'm like Pastor Brett. After 20, I don't need my notes anymore. All right. But the Genesis, but also part of that message was, how do we prepare? One thing to hear. It's one thing to have expectation. And expectation is a great component of faith. Those things that we hope for yet and are sure of, but yet unseen. But if we're really sure of what we're hearing, there's always going to be preparation that's going to be married to expectation. Are we preparing both individually and corporately to receive that which God is pouring out? The following week, I was ministering at a, text, at a church in Austin, Texas. And about a month ago, I got a text from the pastor and it's, quote, hello, Pastor Jim, hope all is well. Since your visit, things here have just exploded since January. We've seen almost 4,000 saved. Over 100 verifiable healings and miracles. And hundreds baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. This was in January. In February... The second Asbury revival, the first February of 1970, God fell on a little college in Wilmore, Kentucky. It's now known as the, as, as the Asbury revival. 53 years later, same place, same auditorium, a group of hangry students. Let me redefine hangry. Hungry for God and hanging out. Some hangry students hanging out after a chapel service. No preaching, no worship, no altar call, but God fell. 53 years later, the Asbury Revival, version 2. And that revival began to move 
from place to place and campus to campus. And then in March in this pulpit, I spoke another message, which was a part two. How then do we respond? When the rain begins to come, like the prophet Elijah, when the rain came, Ahab rode, but Elijah ran. And let me tell you, when we get in the rain of the Holy Ghost, everything begins to accelerate around our life. Those things that have been in delay, even demonically held back. Let me just tell you, when the rain, when you get in the rain of revival, we walk by faith, but we run in the spirit. Amen. But this morning, I want to speak a third part to this same series of messages. It's how we respond part two. Discerning disruptions as the destination to revival. Discerning disruptions as the destination to revival. The genesis of this message was literally Tuesday of this week. I was in our extended staff meeting here at Grace. I got up and began to prophesy and this message came forth. And it seemed like, huh, God might be saying something here. And if you're like I am, since I first preach this message, it seems like others have been reaping the benefits, but I'm not sure how much I've been able to reap the benefit. As I look at my own personal life and I look at the conflicts, the storms, the disruptions, and I'm wondering, God, what am I missing? Because I don't seem to be using what I'm selling. Because I am not personally experiencing this rain, all I know is I'm experiencing the storms, but I'm not sure I'm getting the rain. Anybody else relate so far? And I got to tell you that God has radically turned some of my theology upside down as to how God moves us. You know, I had this picture that God is like this gentle breeze. And we just put up our sails and the gentle winds of the Holy Ghost catch our full sails. And we are just gently propelled into the center of destiny and revival. Come on, I'm old. I, this is what I want. Easy, slow, nonviolent. Are you with me? All right. Thank you very much. But through scriptural examination, observation, pastorally, and personal experience, I'm finding God has other ways many times of getting us from point A to point B that doesn't involve this. It's more neck braces and whiplash of how he chooses to move us. We look no further than just a cursory scriptural examination. Moses just headed outside, going to work, and the boxwood burst into flames. Not consumed, there's no smoke, it's just talking vegetation. Imagine your world for a moment would be slightly disrupted if the shrubs in your yard started speaking to you. 
and burning at the same time. I mean, and then the little assignment he gets. Oh, by the way, dude, I want you to face up. I want you to take an entire nation out of hundreds of years of bondage and slavery. I want you to stand up to the most wicked leader, most powerful leader on the planet. Oh, yo, I want you to do that. And Moses spends chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus trying to talk God out of the assignment. He gets in the midst of the assignment and he says, God, kill me. And this is a man intimate enough with God. It wasn't your children saying, I'm going to die. This was a guy that wanted to die. Talk about disruption. Abram, Genesis 12. 75 years old. It's hard on an old man to move. Pastor Duke just moved off the mountain away from me. He's old. It was hard for him to move. We're dear friends. Those of you that don't know, by the way. Oh, we were dear friends until now. But the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land. I will show you. How do you put that in the GPS? Loading the kids up in the minivan. Are we there yet? I don't know where there is. We're just driving. Well, at least stop at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> David, from stinky sheep. To God's appointed and anointed. His own family couldn't see it. It's the weird kid building instruments and singing all the time. Get him out of the house. Put him in the field. My Lord. Until Samuel comes and says, you got any more? I see all the D1 picks right here, but you got any more? Because there's none of these guys. Can you imagine the deflated, the, the deflated sense of self? What do you mean? No, I mean... Go get, this, go get the kid with the stink of sheep on him. Bring him in here. And by the way, you boys get to stand waiting for him. Talk about life being disrupted for a young shepherd. Elisha, plowing behind a dozen oxen to a dozen years later, getting a double a portion of power of the greatest prophet of Scripture, Elijah. Mary. A young virgin just wanting to be married and have a normal life. And an angel of the Lord appears. Mary, thou art highly favored. Mary's thinking, is this the last thing that one hears before they're struck dead? Talk about a life being disrupted for the purposes of God. Mary, wow, who am I? Be it unto me. Twelve apostles. Follow me. Where are we going, dude? Oh, you don't even want to know. As a matter of fact, most of you boys are going to die ugly deaths as a result of doing this too. So, come on. Amazing what Jesus chooses to leave out many times. But you see, life in the Spirit is a both... It's, it's, it's about both disruptions and interruptions. And it begs a question for you and for me, are we interruptible? I hate being interrupted. 
Don't you? I mean, but beyond just trying to, you know, espouse a story and try to tell somebody how brilliant I am through my verbiage and someone interrupting my discourse... I don't like my life interrupted much, much less disrupted. And when you are disturbed, do you simply get perturbed? But let's talk about a figure from Scripture whose entire life was marked by disruption and is that of the Apostle Paul. We find him in Acts 9 on mission. This is a man passionate, convinced he's right. Saul breathing out murderous threats. Acts chapter 9 against the Lord's disciples. Going to the high priest and says, turn these boys over to me so I can have them in prison. Now this is Saul, student of Gamaliel. I mean, he was like a Yale, Harvard educated theological guy. He had it all figured out, but this Jesus thing and these Jesus people over here, they've got to be an affront, if not an enemy, to everything that I know about who God is. Paul was right, and he had the education to prove he was right. He was on mission. But then something happened to our man Saul. And we keep reading in that same chapter. It says, as he neared Damascus, it says, a light from heaven flashed around him. And it says, he fell to the ground, heard a voice. This is audible voice of God saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then look at this answer. Who are you, Lord? Asked and answered. Who are you, Lord? I mean, there was enough of a disruption that he realized he had just been encountered by someone much, much larger than himself and his mission. His mission converted. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And it started for Paul. A lifestyle, listen to me, a lifestyle of divine disruptions. We move over into Acts, the 16th chapter. Paul and his companions are doing what they do. They're bringing this gospel to Jew and Gentile in all of these different places. And they had a plan. They had it mapped out. And yet we see in in, in at least two cases, it says that the spirit of Jesus Stop them from going in. It's like, come on, dude, we're doing, we're, we're, we're doing the good stuff. We're doing the right stuff. We're on mission. We're, we're preaching this gospel. And yet it was very, very clear here. It says that the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching in Asia. They tried to enter the border of Mysia. And it says the spirit of Jesus would not let them go. And so during the night, this, you remember this story, Paul has this dream of a man from Macedonia saying what? Come over here. But plans disrupted. Interesting. And then mission interrupted. We read on in that same chapter. Here is God now giving Paul a word. 
This is where I want you to go next. Here's the response. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them stripped and beaten after they had been, been severely flogged, thrown into prison. Jailer commanded, guard them carefully. And upon receiving this command, it says, put them in the inner cell, fasten their feet in the stocks. Seriously? God, really? You interrupt my plans, my itinerary. You tell me to go here, and this is the response that I get to being obedient. But you see, God is always setting up something greater. Stay with me. He's always setting up something greater. And this is now the mission at midnight. And Paul and Silas, they're worshiping. They're singing. And the next thing you know, it says a violent earthquake begin to shake that place and somehow that earthquake caused prison doors to fly open. Jailer, so disturbed that he tries to kill himself. And they say, no, 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 no. Converted on the spot, drags Paul and Silas into his own household, middle of the night, and his household gets saved. Talk about interrupted. But I want to draw this morning from one of the last great disruptions of Paul's life and ministry. By way of background, Acts chapters 23 through 26, we find a series of Paul just in legal problems. I mean, first of all, he has this encounter with the Sanhedrin. Doesn't go well, as you can imagine. Um, please don't call me now. Thank you. And then we find him on trial before Felix, Festus, Agrippa. And finally, after all of these various courts and judicial hearings, it was determined, you know, if Paul had not made an appeal directly to Caesar, we could cut him loose. Because we don't find anything here worthy of imprisonment or death. But because now he has appealed to the highest court in the land, we've got to let this process play through. And so we pick up the story in Acts 27, Paul is a prisoner on the way to Rome to appear before Caesar. Now, this is interesting because this was God's plan, Paul's plan all along, but there was some unexpected stops on the way. As a matter of fact, the destination became not just perilous, but deadly. Acts 27, Paul has a word. They find a ship. Paul says this, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Imagine, you head down to Dulles. You get on a United flight and hope that it gets off the ground today. Yes, I'm damaged. And the pilot comes on. Good afternoon, this is flight 666. We're headed to somewhere of dubious origin, but we want to let you know that we see great disruption coming in our flight today. 
Uh, you may as well throw your baggage out the window now because uh, it's not going to make it and we might not live. Have a pleasant flight. How many of you be getting off the plane at that point? It's like, what does he know that I don't know and I didn't want to know? But look at the response. The centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot, the owner of the ship. And so guess what? They take off. You see, how many of you know the challenge of not listening when God is speaking? I don't know about you, but I would have been listening at that point. Because they were right on the verge where, that, where, this, where this trip, that, that, that things can change in the weather very, very quickly. And this is not a jetliner at 30,000 feet that can move around storms. You're in a ship. You don't have that many options. Here they are. But here's the challenge of not listening. Many times we get into storms, quite frankly, that could have been avoided if we've been listening well to begin with. And yet here's Paul listening horizontally, listening to left and right, the majority. Oh, I read it on the, or I saw it on the internet. I read it in a book. Well, it must make it true. Keep thinking that. And listening to the voice of the majority rather than listening to the voice of God will always get us diverted into storms. And it says, and when a gentle south wind began, I'm in Acts 27, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. Come on, remember my theology? Mm. See, prophets were wrong. Again, here we are being led into the center of God's will and my destiny. And look how easily it's all happening. And then before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. And the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. How many times do the gentle winds of our own making turn into violent storms? of circumstance and consequence of our own disobedience, of not listening. Uh-oh. It says we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they begin to throw cargo overboard. I mean, this is the reason the ship is going where they're going to begin with is to deliver valuable cargo. It would be like tractor trailers just throwing there are boxes full of stuff on each side of I-66, boxes full of valuable things, just discarding them. And it says on the third day, the ships tackle overboard. They threw it over with their own hands. And it says, finally, when the sun neither or stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Some of you are in that very moment right now because of the unrelenting storms around your life. Hear me. But it's an amazing what a storm does is the clarity it brings. The cargo around our life. I don't need this. 
We just start, uh-uh, don't need that, don't, don't need that. What baggage, what luggage that we have that we realize it needs to be discarded. But then it says they threw the tackle overboard with their own hands. What was, what's the tackle on a ship? It's those devices that are uniquely designed to navigate and steer that ship. And they finally realized this is no good anymore. Is that there's nothing that we can do with our own, come on, our own hands, our great wisdom, our great planning, our great training, our great knowledge, all everything we've known about navigating in this moment where this storm is breaking out around us. We don't need these navigation and tackle anymore. Old song, Jesus, take the wheel. It's an amazing thing. It'd be like you unscrewing, if you could do it, unscrewing the steering wheel from your car and pitching it out the window. <laughs> Hope the airbags work. Oh, airbags were in the steering wheel. I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that when we get in these moments, here, Jesus, take the wheel. But the rest of the time, we're like, Jesus, just a passenger in the car. Look at me. I'm a good driver. I'm not. What it looks like. And yet, even when our, we, we miss the initial warnings, God still extends grace and mercy. Paul has his aha moment. Men, you should have taken my advice. That's biblical for I told you so. You would have saved yourselves from the damage and loss. But then he goes on and he says, but last night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. Let me just tell you, you better know somebody in the storm. that has that kind of cachet with God that can give you a word in season and encourage you that when your ship is breaking to pieces, that you've got somebody or some bodies in your life that can redirect you to the words of life. He says, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, meaning I'm going to get you there. And God has given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now keep up your courage. Have faith in God. It will happen as he's told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. What was he saying? Nevertheless, boys, this is going to be a mess. This is going to be an absolute disaster. Because we're going to lose this ship. And in Acts 20. Seven, they're continuing to drop anchor and, the, and, and, and trying to find a place where they can secure this boat so it doesn't run aground and get dashed on the rocks. But the anchors don't hold. Let me tell you, we have this expression called end of my rope. Listen to me. Some of you have tried to drop your anchor in the midst of the storm and your rope has not been long enough to anchor your ship great hymn writer wrote these words when darkness veils 
his, whole, his lovely face. What does it say? I rest on his unchanging grace. And in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. There's an anchor in Jesus Christ that's not found anywhere else. And then there's the shipwreck. The thing that every sailor is terrified of. But let me ask you a question this morning. What has gotten shipwrecked in your life? What is your greatest fear? And for these sailors, it happened. Their boat was destroyed. And they find themselves literally on the last pieces of their ship being led onto an island. Fascinating. Their worst fears manifested, but watch what's about to happen. From ignoring the warning to the violent storm, the loss of possessions, a violent shipwreck, and almost a loss of life was revival on some island called Malta. Amazing. Now watch this. It says in Acts 28, it says, they found themselves on an island and they, they're looking around like, where are we? What is the name of this place? It's Malta. Have you ever wondered, looked around? Maybe you wake up in the morning and look over at your husband and say, how did I get here? Who is this fool in my bed? <laughs> Have you ever gone to work on a Tuesday afternoon and look around? It's like, how did I wind up here? And you look around and you find, wow, this storm, this set of circumstances got me on a place called Malta. Had no idea. And they get there, they build a fire, they're warming up. What's the first thing that happened? It says a snake came out of the wood based on the heat, bit Paul. The islanders knew this is a very dangerous viper, neurotoxic. This man will be dead in minutes. Paul says, let me tell you, in the midst of your rescue, the enemy will still try to come bite you. He'll still try to come out, even though the fire of the Holy Ghost, let me tell you what you do, shake it off. No ill effects. Wow. And it says the islanders showed unusual kindness. The leader of that place, Publius, invites him into his home three days. I mean, these were prisoners shipwrecked on their island. They should have been absolutely suspect. But it's like, hey, that's the dude with the snake. Oh, yeah, we need to get to know him. He prays. For his, who is it, his father-in-law, I believe? He's healed. And then watch what happens here. After this happens, it says what? It says, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. The entire island was affected by the shipwreck. And they all got healed. This is what revival looks like. They all got healed. And then it says, as we got ready to leave, they furnished with us the supplies we needed. Let me tell you, 
Whatever you think has gotten lost in this last season, God is going to add it back to you. So let me close. Disruptions. Divine orientation are often demonic exploitations. This becomes a great theological dilemma for you and me. Because you see, often these storms come, there's a convergence. And in one in the saint, in that moment where our ship's breaking up around us, is why it's so hard to discern in the storm what is divine and what is demonic. Stay with me. We're good Pentecostals. We see the storm, we start rebuking. But here's a challenge, and this will mess you up. There are times that in the economy of God, that God will use the devil in such a way, and God's purposes and the devil's actions will temporarily align. Now, if you say, how can that be? Read the book of Job. Satan's a created being. He's under complete authority and charge of Jesus Christ. But don't think, listen to me, don't think God won't use the devil to exact his will and purposes in your life. And many times, the same way that you'll have roads that converge, you, you're, you're on, uh, you know, maybe I-66, and then all of a sudden it becomes 17 for a moment. There's still roads going in the same direction, but they too have become one. That's why it's so difficult many times for us to discern in the midst, God, is this you or is it the devil? Many times it can be one in the same. Let me give you an example. There are Christians that hold that the COVID pandemic was straight from hell. The church responded poorly. That's why the churches went into a, a moment of decline. Now, did the devil exploit COVID? Absolutely. The devil always exploits a moment of weakness in your life. However, was COVID preparatory for what God is doing in this hour? Absolutely. Listen to me. We heard prophetic words that God was going to use this pandemic to plow the nations, plow the church, that there would be a place for the seeds of revival and that the waters of revival to run through. Did the devil use it? Yes. Did God ordain it? Absolutely. Now that might mess up some theology this morning, but your pastors who are here most of the time can fix that later. but you will not die. And not only was there revival on Malta, we get to the end of Acts 28, the end of the book. Paul gets to Rome. What was in his GPS from the very beginning, get to Rome to appear before Caesar, it says, for two years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, this is in Rome, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom, taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And yet, Malta was not in Paul's plan. It wasn't even revealed to him. 
And yet, God used it. Let me just tell you, I love Revelation. But Revelation many times is incomplete. For us to be able to see every storm that's coming. I don't know about you, but I've been real glad just to be really ignorant and stupid sometimes. As to, as to some of the things that I faced. I've got to tell you. And yes, we need to hear. Yes, we need to be prophetic, revelatory people. But let me tell you, God will use even that which he doesn't reveal. And Paul got to exactly where God said that he was going to go. Amen? Amen? Pray with me. What is your storm this morning? For some of you, your anchors have not held. Because God has designed your anchors not to hold in this storm. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. Listen to me. And that only anchor is Jesus Christ.